Have you been rethinking your views of how America should work, the role of the police, the extent of racism in our society? Today, we asked two African-American thinkers and activists a personal question for all of us to consider. What racism means to me. This is Let's Find Common Ground. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. I'm Richard Davies. Outrage over the deaths of George Floyd and other black men and women has changed the debate over racism. We look at the prospects for lasting change and whether the response to recent events is a common ground moment. Our guests are Ilyasa Shabazz and Dr. Brian Williams. Professor Shabazz promotes social justice and higher education for at-risk youth. She teaches at John Jay College of Criminal Justice in New York, and she's the author of the memoir, Growing Up X. She's often asked to speak about the legacy of her father, Malcolm X. Dr. Brian Williams is Associate Professor of Trauma and Acute Care Surgery at the University of Chicago Medical Center. He led the trauma team that treated police officers ambushed by a sniper in Dallas in 2016, the largest loss of life for U.S. law enforcement since 9-11. First question to Ilyasa. How do you think the national discussion about racism has changed over the last 50 years or so? Well, I think that especially seeing the slow, horrific murder of George Floyd, that people are certainly more open to um, hear about and, and learn about the injustices and the complaints that many people were talking about. Even when we look at the phrase Black Lives Matter, prior, when you hear that, a lot of people that I know, they would say, oh, come on, all lives matter. But now they understand why people were saying that Black Lives Matter, because for so long, it just didn't seem like it did. Because I think being at home, self-isolating, Wondering if we're going to survive the, this pandemic. Are we going to live? Are we going to die? And, you know, and having this time in our hand to focus on how these four police officers just sucked the life out of one person was just, whoa, it was just so much. Brian, how do you feel things have changed? Do you agree with Ilyasa when she says that um, more people are open to this phrase, Black Lives Matter? Well, I, I definitely agree that people are more open to the, I mean, discussing racism in general. And also what I think has changed is the variety of voices that you're hearing from that are condemning this act that, that happened with the, the murder of George Floyd and also connecting the dots to other incidents like that in the past. Because what I've seen in past events is that they were always looked at in isolation. We looked at uh, Michael Brown as one and Freddie Gray as another incident. But for me, these were a continuation of a much larger narrative that I felt was lost in this discussion. So that's the huge change that I, I see with this current, in the, in the current climate. Do you think the police are the problem, the primary problem? 
you know, that's, I think it's very important how we, we frame that narrative. So when you ask me, do I think that the police are the problem? I can say emphatically, no, the police are not the problem, but policing and the lack of understanding of the history of policing in this country and how it has been meant to uh, isolate and control Black Americans, that lack of understanding and reform uh, is the problem. And yes, there are bad police, right? And we tend to focus on those individuals when incidents like this happen. This one officer, his actions have had huge international repercussions, but also we can bring some good out of this by taking this collective energy from around the world to uh, to reform policing and uh, reform systemic racism. Ilyasa, as an educator, do you agree with that? I would agree, certainly with Dr. Williams. The policing, reform, education, um, there are so many reasons. But also, can I say, education and discussion, that's just a start, but it's not enough. Like. A lot of us have been educating and talking and waiting for a long, long time. Now is the time for action. It is time for us collectively as a, as, as a society to recognize that there are tremendous gaps that exist that disadvantage Black people uh, because of policies that were intentionally set you know, generations ago. So those systems need to be reformed. Yes, that's right. They need to be reformed. You know, my premise has always been education because for me, my parents made sure that I learned at home in addition to going to school because the educational curriculum are absolutely incorrect and accurate. If we are taught that Black people are inferior or all the negative things that we're taught about Blacks, right? then there is going to be less uh, sensitivity, less respect, so many things. Education to me is extremely important. And that's one of the things that I've continually fought for. You know, not just talking about accomplishments that Blacks may have made in February, but making sure that the educational curriculum is inclusive, even when it comes to police training. The information provided is inaccurate. We have these unconscious biases. And, and so I just see education as being one of the biggest um, uh, challenges. My father said, if you put a knife in my back nine inches and pull it out six inches, the knife is still in my back, right? We still have to address these issues that have happened. And it all starts with being misinformed, miseducated about you know, so many things. If we want to talk about Africa, right? If we want to talk about slavery. If we want to talk about the foundation of this modern world in America. We have to remember that there were indigenous people who were already here, you know, already uh, making significant contributions to uh, world history and societies. And had it not been for them, we would not have all the things that we have today. Do you, both of you, Brian and Eliasa, see this as a potential common ground moment that these protests have got the world's attention? Are there things that you think might be possible now that were not three weeks ago, four weeks ago? Yes, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. It's a miracle because now 
people's eyes are open. Now you can say, look, this is what happened to Eric Garner. And they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize this is what happened, right? And now we can say, this is what Malcolm was saying. And it's like, oh my gosh, I thought Malcolm was something else. Now people are so much more open to understanding the challenges. I, I just want to say that uh, Brian's beeper has just gone off. Uh, Brian is a trauma surgeon. He's on call. Are, are we still good to go, Brian? We're, we're, we're still good to go. That was that was just a FYI type of page. I normally have it on vibrate, so I, I apologize how that's to do there. But, but to answer your question, I, I absolutely agree this is a common ground moment. And there's so, certain things that uh, Eliasa said that, uh, that resonated when she talked about education. I completely agree on that. And uh, it's serendipitous that you know, she mentioned her father because just yesterday, prior to you uh, asking if I could do this podcast, I recommended her, her father's autobiography <laughs> to people to read. And I said, you know, you may have this one dimensional view of who he was and what he represented, but you know, read this book and watch the evolution uh, of a man and how you can use that and apply those principles in your, in your own life. And as far as what I could do now that I probably couldn't do three weeks ago, I don't think I would have gone on social media and recommended 12, 12 books on racism for everybody to read, right? I'm cognizant of um, my public uh, perception as, as a doctor and a trauma surgeon, as an academic surgeon, and as an educator. And, you know, I, I want to, to make society better, but I also recognize that uh, I'm viewed a certain way and I don't want that to reflect poorly upon my institution, you know, but now it's okay. Like, okay, after this, I can get on social media and just list, you know, if you want to learn about racism, read these 15 books that the new Jim Crow, uh, slavery by another name, the autobiography of Malcolm X and bam, 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 bam. And nobody blinks, right? Like you're not, thank you. For, you get thanked for that as opposed to getting trolled. So that would not have happened three weeks ago. That's so interesting that you felt that you had to tread such a fine line between what you say publicly when you when you speak about these issues and and then your work life. And it's, and it's, it's funny because before people would have, I've heard, I've had some people uh, criticize me and tell me that I am kind of radical in the things I say. And I'm like, you think I'm, I'm radical? <laughs> I, <laughs> I think I've, I've been very restrained. Uh, I certainly tried, I started trying to be, speak truth to power uh, but I want to be respectful and try to uh, um, have a constructive, safe dialogue about it without compromising my my values. So you have to make a decision. Do you want to be right all the time or do you want to be effective? Do you want to tell people why they need to change or do you want to get them to change by meeting them where they are? And I think it comes from being a doctor and being a black male doctor, that that carries with it a certain sort of expectation uh, that people place upon you about how you should behave and what you should do and what you can do and what you can and, and can say. Ilyasa, do you feel that? I've never been like that. And so I am, which most people would never believe, I'm a loner. You know, I, and most people are like, oh no, you're not, We're, you're sociable, you're a social butterfly. No, I'm really not. I know how to socialize because I come from a large family of women. I have five sisters, but I speak up. I think it's important for young people to find their voice. For me, it's always been an issue of 
wanting to see young children happy about who they are. And I'm very fortunate that my mother made sure while I went to, you know, these beautiful prep schools and had a great education that I also would come home and there would be Sheikh um, Ahmed Tafiq who would teach us about Africa, who would teach us about Islam. Um, I We had this beautiful statues of, of women of the diaspora in our home. I grew up really with a great sense of who I am. My mother made sure that each of her six daughters learned about the significant contributions that women made to the world, the significant contributions that the diaspora, the African diaspora made to the world and the same with Islam. And so I grew up with a very healthy sense of who I am and I never felt like I had to be quiet. Ilyasa, you, you've said that when we teach people to hate others, we also teach them to hate themselves and we must do better. Well, absolutely. I mean, why are we teaching our children to hate, right? It speaks to my mother making sure that we loved ourselves because when you love yourself, then you know how to love and then you love others. When you love yourself and you see injustice or suffrage happening to someone else, then you want to do something to help because you love that person because you've been taught love. And so if we're taught hate, we're never going to solve any problems. And, and it looks like that's what the young people are saying. And it's great, thank goodness, because we need our young people to, to have their voices, to speak up and help us make change. And my father said that these young people were going to get sick and tired and recognize that the old way of doing things is not going is no longer going to work that the old people have misused their power and and so now it's time for change you're listening to let's find common ground i'm richard and i'm ashley more of our interview in a minute Our podcasts are brought to you by Common Ground Committee. It's public events inspire citizens and leaders to make progress on issues through civil public discourse. Bringing light, not heat, to public discourse. That's our motto. We put forums together where we bring panelists from opposite sides of of a tough issue. Please welcome Secretary Condoleezza Rice. Please welcome Secretary John Kerry. Chris Wallace. Maggie Haberman, Barney Frank, Larry Kudlow. But I would give you a lot of running room on the personal tax side. If you give me my 15% corporate tax, at the right, at the right, with the right trade-off, we could we could do I mean, that. I mean, I, I think there's a deal. I think, I think there's a deal to be had. Watch full events online at commongroundcommittee.org or on our Common Ground Committee YouTube channel. Now more of our interview with Ilyasa Shabazz and Brian Williams. Brian, you sort of touched on this just now when you talked about prior to this time being a bit careful because of your professional profile. When it comes to slogans like white silence is white violence, for example, I think there are some people who are quite scared of that or it makes them feel defensive. What do you think about that? Well, I would say that that discomfort that's speaking volumes 
individuals that feel uncomfortable with those sorts of slogans, they need to stop and think about what it is about that that makes them feel uncomfortable. That is a time for introspection. That is a time to look at their own biases. And then once they've thought about it, then what are they going to do about it? So in the past, I spent a lot of my time trying to make everyone around me feel comfortable, right? I felt that my job was like, you know, you don't have to be afraid of me. <laughs> You're going to be okay. Uh, I don't feel that way anymore. It's not my job to make you feel comfortable. Uh, it's my job to live my authentic self. Uh, and I'm and I always standing on the side of justice. And my job is to every day when I wake up, I want to do what little thing can I do to help create a just society. And I recognize that that will make some people uncomfortable. And I recognize that some people may not like me or what I am doing. However, the end goal is not for me to elevate myself as an individual, but what I can do to uplift society. And if I stay focused on that, then I can go to bed at night knowing that I'm living my truth and doing what's best to uplift humanity. Sounds like this moment has changed you, Brian, and maybe a reminder of what happened to you in 2016 when you worked as a trauma surgeon in Dallas. It's amplified a change that occurred for me. Uh, it's been almost yeah four summers ago. A similar thing happened. This is the day after Philando Castile was killed in Minnesota, not very far from where George Floyd was killed. So that happened on July 6th. And then on July 7th, there were protests nationwide against police brutality. The, the protest in Dallas um, turned deadly. There was a sniper there that shot 12 police officers. And I was working that night. And uh, I led the team that cared for seven of the 12 officers that were shot. And three of those officers that we cared for died. So for me, there's a lot going on for me personally and professionally that just uh, exploded with that with that that shooting and then those deaths. And you know, I don't cry, but that night after I talked to one of the families, I was in the back hallway on the floor crying uh, about what had happened. Uh, and then afterwards, at a, at a press conference a few days later, which I initially did not want to attend. Uh, but my wife, when I told her, she said, like, okay, you're going to that press conference. The world needs to see that there was a black trauma surgeon there that night trying to save these white police officers. And you don't have to speak. You just need to sit there and the camera on you, which is what my initial intent. But as I sat there and the, the, um, the press conference proceeded and I heard the discussion. So that's, that was my first time when I spoke up. I was done trying to make people feel safe. And I spoke up about police brutality and systemic racism and gun violence. And this happened at a televised press conference. With, I had no plans for this. And then after that, my life changed, uh, whether I wanted to or not. Yeah, you said, I mean, you essentially said, I support you, speaking of police officers, but I also fear you. Right. So I was, that was me speaking my truth. Like I've had my own run-ins with police officers. Uh, I know what's happened with my family. I know, and I know I've seen all the videos in, in the past. I have the, I have the oral history of what goes on in black communities. So there is that inherent, inherent fear from what I know in my own experience that yes, this could be a lethal interaction uh, with police officers. But I, I, you know, I did say that. I was like, yeah, you know, I respect you because 
you know, I went to uh, the Air Force Academy. I served in the military. My father was in the military. I respect anyone who serves and puts on the uniform. That includes police officers. I get that. I get that sort of sacrifice. But we can't ignore the fact that many of these deaths were not justified. Like this is, they weren't justified at the hands of police. So we can't ignore that. And that's what I said uh, during that conference. And that resonated with a lot of, a lot of different people for different reasons. Ilyasa said she's she's been true and spoke up from day one. That was not me, right? That was not me. In small circles, maybe, but publicly, no. But from that point on, it's been an evolution up until now. Where yes, I'm, you know, I step into the arena and have these discussions. Um, but it, you know, I'm better this year than I was last year and the year prior, and it's continued to grow. Um, but right now, you know, I just feel alive. I feel authentic. I feel like I'm contributing to humanity and. Uh, uh, I had no intention of going back uh, to the way I was. For a while I did, I tried, but that just was not going to work. So now uh, I will say that at this point, I am comfortable being uncomfortable. And that's really the big challenge because I have also a lot of friends or, you know, when I was going to school, my school was an all-girls school. We would go to the boys' school. And I know for a lot of the African-American boys that were in the schools, what they would do is they would emulate their professors and they could never be their authentic self because you're taught that, you know, being black is is not good, right? You're taught so many things about your blackness, which is your identity. So for me, it's always been that I want to see children happy. I want to, I want them to know that they're worthy of all of these great things. I want them to to look in the mirror and love themselves. Because the research that was conducted on black and white dolls that were identical, but the skin was, one was lighter than the other, and all of these black children were picking the white doll. And that just speaks to the institutional systemic racism that a young child would think that the, the black doll was bad, dirty, and not smart and ugly, and that the white doll was wonderful, great, and just perfect. And then when they said, well, which doll are you? And just, we want everyone to love who they are, right? And, and the joys and the benefits of just that. Ashley and I are, are both white journalists. And we think we know a lot. We're pretty well educated. What do you think that we should understand about race that we don't? Personally, I think that it starts with, you know, most white people think that the Egyptians, the people who built the pyramids were white, right? But our logic will say that Egypt is in Africa and that you have to have melanin in your skin, which means that you're dark. And so just all of these ancient characters, like when we say the founders of, of math and the founders of, 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 of biology are from Greece, that they're from Africa. And then when we look at slavery, let's acknowledge that had it not been for these people, that we would not have the opportunity to call the United States of America our home today. So let's honor those people who cultivated the soil, who make these 
contributions to make help make America what it is today. And Brian? We're talking about, it's all about education and all the different forms it comes in. The perceptions of the others. You know, I'll, I'll use an, an example that even shows one of my own blind spots is, you know, as a doctor, having gone through medical school and all the education, you know, I always thought that the the extent of experimentation on Black Americans began and ended with Tuskegee. It was about, I think it was a 20-year study. They they had a cure for syphilis, which is penicillin. Anybody can get this. Uh, but instead of giving this to their Black research subjects, they gave them placebo so that they can study the natural course of the disease, which can be deadly, caused neurosyphilis and um, many other complications. And this was run by the United States Public Health Service. So this is the U.S., the federal government denied uh, an existing cure for this disease. And as you can expect, many suffered and died. Their children and partners were infected with the disease as well. So most people are aware of that. But there are so many other instances of, of exploitation and experimentation on Black Americans that occurred before it even occurred after. For example, uh, in the antebellum times, they were performing surgery on Black women, vaginal surgery without anesthesia, <laughs> to perfect a technique, which is now, you know, is now the standard repair for vesicovaginal fistula, which is a connection between the vagina and the, and the bladder. But the surgeon that did this would have the woman held down and restrained and do the surgery over and over again without anesthesia when anesthesia was available. Uh, up until the 80s, they were still performing unauthorized sterilization on Black women and teenagers in, in the South. It's part of the eugenics to, to better the race. So you know, within our lifetime, like the 80s is not that long ago, uh, this was still happening. However, I never learned about any of that in medical school. And it seems to me to be a reluctance to take a look in the mirror and see all the warts and bruises on American history. But uh, I agree that the, the young kids, the kids out now, they're not having it. They are aware, they are courageous, and they are not being silent. And I admit this to them. When I go, when I go speak, to colleges and medical schools, I say, you know what? I know you invited me here to speak, but I'm inspired by all of you because you are doing now what it took me, you know, 50 years to get to that point. And I am inspired. So, so keep pushing. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Have each of you felt the presence of racism in your own lives over the years when you were growing up and later than that, perhaps? Well, you know, for me, I didn't feel it. And it wasn't until I remember being at this restaurant and it was after Donald Trump won. And there were these two gentlemen that were saying things and it made me very uncomfortable. And then they were leaving. And so I woke up to say something like, you know, hey guys, like, what was that all about? And So hang on. So you approached them about something they said and they yeah, I, walked I, back I, to you? Well... So one of them had on a hat that said, make America great again. And the other one had an English accent. And so they were saying things and I kept looking, you know, at them like, like, are they saying what I think they're saying? And it was just hinting at something negative about me being there. 
And I just decided that I was going to go out and find out, excuse me, sir, what was it that you said? And it took all of him not to do something to me. And that's what got me like, wow, you know, I was, I was, you know, a little frightened. I've felt it my entire life, either in some explicit form or uh, implicit. And I, I think I grew up being angry all the time and wanting to fight everyone and, and, I don't beat the racism out of them. And then I came to a point in my teenage years where I just sort of accepted it. That's the way it is. I, and I think I learned how to, to function within that system uh, by not speaking up and just navigating all the different barriers and, and challenges. But I handed over who I was in order to, to exist. It's you, you hand over your identity for acceptance. And I recognize that that now, but it's all part of the journey that's prepared me for where I am now and able to, to speak about this because that narrative, I think, resonates with people. And I don't get angry now. I know it sounds counterintuitive, but I actually, I feel some empathy for these people. I, I'm really struck by the difference in in, in the way both of you have seen this apply to your own lives. Do you feel that that many people are objectifying the black experience, oversimplifying it, um, it, it, it without realizing that that everyone's view of life, everyone's experience in life is 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 different? I think most people though are like Dr. Williams. And I think mine is just a little different because you know, I must have lived in a fantasy because my mother made sure that my image of me was intact. Most people did not grow up with their image intact. My mother, she almost went overboard with it. And I think when you come to the reality, you can either be traumatized or you can do something about it. I grew up very happy. I grew up very loved. My mother over loved me and, and I'm so grateful for it. And I always wanted to make sure that other people had the same. So I understand so many of my friends and I've even heard so many um, people of color, blacks primarily say that now they can come out of their shell, you know, that now they can speak up because for a long time, if they were successful, they didn't have to, and they didn't even want to talk about it, you know? And so now they're understanding how important it is. And I think what's interesting about hearing the two of us talk right now is that you're, you are clearly seeing that black folks are not a monolithic group, right? But the common ground between the two of us, it's about identity. It's about service. It, it, it's about um, uh, humanity. Uh, uh, so despite our disparate views of it, you know, we're looking at the same picture from two different angles, from two different lenses. Uh, in, in the end, it's about who we are and who you want to be and who you and how you want to impact the world. And it's, it's exciting to see how this, this world is changing. And I, you know, I feel hopeful for my daughter now, right? I'm like, you know, I always worry about this world that she's inheriting, but she's growing up at a time where she's seeing so much, right? And she understands that people can make a difference and that there are movements 
that are people are committed to making the world a better place. So I'm going to overlove the heck out of her, <laughs> like your mother did to you. Right. So you can you you can do anything. You can be anybody, and don't let anybody tell you otherwise. And you have to let her see her ancestors in a positive light. That's extremely important. Right. Why were they taken? What were they doing before they were taken? What were they doing before they were enslaved? They were inventing, and so we understand that the the the, the tradition was universal spirit and intellect. God and scholarship. And so then that gives you a great sense of who you are because it's wisdom and it's believing in a creator. Thank you very much. This has been a, a really enlightening and, and wonderful, loving conversation. Yeah. It was an honor and inspirational. And I, I learned a few things. <laughs> That's the, and it was a pleasure so, to meet you too, Dr. Brian Williams. Yes, I hope we can connect again in the future. Yeah, yeah thank you so much, both of you. Ilyasa Shabazz and Dr. Brian Williams on Let's Find Common Ground. Our podcasts are a production of Common Ground Committee. Find out more about our mission and our events at commongroundcommittee.org. Subscribe to Let's Find Common Ground wherever you listen to podcasts. Reviews and downloads help many more people find us. Thanks for listening.